So we're about to get started. So as we uh, are continuing, we are in the book of Romans. And last week we talked about, uh, we were in Romans chapter 9, verses 30 um, through 33. And so if you remember, we were talking about, uh, what shall we say then? This is what Paul uh, says. The scripture, I want to make sure that you all can see this. Amen. I'm so, I, I get so excited just seeing, looking at technology and how the guys, look at that. Look, you see that? That's the word. Y'all should be happy about that. See, that's just, just, you understand where people are so used to technology, you just always at your fingertips. Sometimes, again, we can become not, you know, not grateful that we at the fingertips, at the click of a button, God's word can appear in our lives and have access to it. So we were um, in the book of Romans, chapter 9, verses 30 to 33, and we were talking about what, what was Paul saying? What shall we then say? What should we then say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it? A righteousness is why what? Faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of the righteousness and have not attained their goal? Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, See, I lay a, uh, in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So, what was Paul saying? In, 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 this, in these verses, in these passages, Paul was reminding and, and telling the, 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 the church at Rome, like, look, your understanding is that the Israelites, that they were, yes, God's chosen people, but the Israelites were so caught up in doing what? They were caught up in working for their faith, working for their salvation. So Paul is reminding them that, no, it comes by faith. Your righteousness comes by faith. And so he was reminding uh, them that, just like he's reminding us today, it's not about your works. You can't be good enough. You can't work hard enough, right? And I know, I know some of you, I know how much, how hard you work. I know it. But even in you working so hard, right, so is every single day showing up, you can't be good enough. You can't be good enough. And so Paul was reminding them that it's not by their works, but by their faith. And as a result of their faith, then they begin to what? Work. So it is our faith in God that allows us to do the work of the kingdom. But, but, I, by, but if we're caught up in our works, right, what happens when we can't work? Now what? Are you now not saved because you can no longer work? I'm so glad that God, what? Allows us to put our faith in his son, Jesus Christ, that allows us to be saved and so that we don't have to worry about our works that are that of a filthy rag. When we get down to the nitty-gritty, right, we can think about it. And I know, and this is the thing, as I began to examine some of the works and the things that I've done, from the outside, people will say, that is amazing, that's great stuff. But I know that some of the works that I've done were really for me to be seen, for me to be valued. I want people to clap for me, right? I want the accolades. I want the platform. And God said, where's your heart? This is why it's by faith. And you have to put your faith in Christ and his work. It's amazing. It's amazing. And I'm so glad that he, we, we don't have to work for it. I'm so glad that we don't have to work for it. So Paul last week was reminding us that it's not 
about uh, the works. It's about our faith in Jesus. And Jesus was that stumbling stone for, to the Israelites because what? They didn't catch the message. It was in scripture. The prophets talked about him. They talked about the Messiah coming. This, this, song, this stone that he laid in Zion. Who, who's this stone? Who's this? Jesus Christ is that stone. And so what? The Israelites were so caught up in themselves that they didn't see Christ the Messiah. And it didn't match their description and what they wanted. Right? And so we start thinking about us today. How is God showing up in you in your life? Is it how you want him to show up? Do you want God to show up a certain way? Is it just about how, how you want him to show up? Are you, a lot, are you a, a good with God showing up the way he sees fit? That's a challenge. Because God doesn't always show up the way we want him. It's uncomfortable. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes, dare I say, it's lonely. Right? Yesterday, uh, I was convicted. Let me tell, I'll be honest with y'all. Uh, there was a monster truck show going on. Some of y'all are like, monster truck show? Well, let me, a little background, right? So my, my father, you know, he passed away. And, but I always, he told me he was going to take me to the monster truck show, right? So I always have wanted to go to the monster truck show. So yesterday, my father-in-law was like, Nate, I got two tickets. And I'm like, whew, tickets? Study? Right? God's word, he's still speaking to me. It's not done yet. I'm conflicted. And I'm so glad because the more time that I sat with God, the more he gave me and prepared me for today. Now, the monster truck show probably was amazing. It probably was good. It probably would have fulfilled some of that fleshly desire, right? That happiness, that take me back to that childhood memory. Absolutely. But I had to think about what was more important. Feeding my flesh or feeding God's flock? What's more important? Feeding my flesh or feeding God's flock? And what I have come to learn is that as I feed God's flock, God still feeds me and provides an opportunity. Now, maybe I missed it this weekend, but maybe he'll present another opportunity. Because I know that I serve a God who's able to do things that man can't even fathom. So, Paul was reminding the Corinthians, I mean, Paul was reminding um, the, the readers that we need to have our faith in Christ, right? No faith, no salvation. No faith, no salvation. No faith, no salvation. No faith, no salvation. Now we jump into Romans 10, 1 through 4, right? And so what I want you to do is look at this for a moment and just begin. You can turn your book, turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. And the first thing I want you to think about are the words that pop out to you, right? You don't have to say them, but I want you to just begin to think about looking at these, this text, verses 1 through 4, what words are popping out to you, right? This is something I did as I was reading and wrestling with the text and getting prepared to preach. I was asked, okay, what, was, what is popping out to me, all right? So that's the first question I want you to, want you to take, right? And you can write that down and just meditate on that. What questions, I mean, what words are standing out to you? Then secondly, what I want you to do, second question is, what emotions, what feelings come to your mind when you think about God's word, specifically these passages? 
So as you think about the words that pop up, what emotions are attached to those words? Like heart's desire, zealous, saved. Think about the emotions that come to your mind when you think about God's word. Then I want you to think about what does Paul mean when he says that they sought their own? What did Paul mean when he says, I want you just to begin to think about that. As we get into the God's word, what did Paul mean when he says they sought their own? They sought their own. And we're going to jump into it. And he says, brothers, chapter, in chapter 10, verses one, verse 1, it reads, brothers, my hearts, and I want to pause for a moment. The word heart right here, it comes from the word cardia, the Greek word cardia, which is about your thoughts and feelings, but also stands for man's entire mental and moral activity. Both rational and emotional elements, it is used figuratively for hidden springs of the personal life, but can also represent the physical chief organ, that heart. So think about that for a moment. He jumps off by saying, my heart's desire, Paul's heart, cardia, my thoughts, my feelings, my emotions, my heart, this thing that pumps inside of me, it hit different. See, when you just read God's word at, at, at first glance, my heart's desire, you're like, oh, that thing I can't see, whatever, yeah. But the deeper you get, you, you peel back the layer. My heart's desire, he starts off by my heart's desire, my feeling my emotions right my heart is beating my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved in other words Paul can translate what that my hearts my, my feelings my emotions my desire and this word desire yo dakia or dakia means what good pleasure so when you look at God's word he says here my heart's desire and prayer, my heart, my emotions, my feelings, my thoughts, uh, is, it's good pleasure is that what? That the Israelites be saved. So when I read this and I looked at the word saved as well, well, my good pleasure, my thoughts, emotions is that they be saved and it would end in what? Sote era, which means what? The deliverance or preservation. So the result, this word that means it has to do with the resolve, right? So with what actually happening at the end. So his end request is that what my prayer, my thought, my desire is that the, that you all, that the Israelites would be saved, that they would be preserved, that they would be delivered, that they would experience what salvation. That is different versus just that they would be saved. Saved from what? When we start looking deeper, saved from what? From hell. Saved from God's wrath. They have been delivered. God, Paul says, my heart beats so that you, that the Israelites, may be saved. Like I, my, That's my prayer. Is that they would see Christ the way I have saw him. Post check. Check our post for a moment. As I read the scripture, I was inspired. I was like, yo, that's fire. That's amazing. But then I also was convicted. Because I thought about Paul's heart beating for the Israelites for their salvation. 
So I posed the question to myself. Nathan, does your heart beat for the salvation of people? Does your thoughts, your emotions, your moral activity, the reasons that you do things, is it fueled by what? The, the result of people being saved? So I pose that same question to you. I don't want to be the only one convicted. Right? Spirit says, so Nathan, are you caught up in, um, in the, the salvation of others or is it about you? About what you want? And so it reminded me of a story. And I said, Lord, I don't want to tell that story. They don't need to know my business. But there was a time where um, I met a young lady and I lied about who I was. Right? I lied about who I was. Now, don't act like y'all, don't be lying. But I lied about who I was because I was concerned about what Nathan wanted. And so I would never forget, I couldn't sleep, I couldn't eat, I was sick. I was like, ooh, what if she find out who I really am? What if she finds out who I, if I, if, who I really am? And I started to think about God was convicting me and let me know that's because you're, you, you are not of the world. It was the Holy Spirit convicting me and saying, you have a higher purpose. You have a higher calling. Your heart should be beating for her salvation. So I went back and apologized and lied and says, my name, this is who I really am. And I really am a, a believer. And I love God. And would you know it that this person said, what? That's what I need. What? That's what I, I I've always been looking for somebody who is of the faith. Because I'm a spiritual person, but I'm going through some things right now. So I began to think about what would have happened, Paul, if I just kept doing what I wanted to do. Where would she have landed? Where would the resolve have been? Right? So when I thought about it, she ended up, got, her, uh, got a Bible, got a devotional, started attending church. Because I showed up as how I'm supposed to show up. My heart was beating for her salvation. And it's hard. I don't say that to say that I'm perfect. I don't say that to say that that's always been the case. But I say that to say that when we are walking in the spirit, we won't be consumed with the things of the flesh. That's why it's the same Paul, right? The same one who wrote this letter said that what? Walk in the spirit and you will not what? Gratify the lust of the flesh. It's the same, same author. Why? Because he understands that what the flesh is weak. The flesh wants to do what the flesh wants to do. So I pose you that same question. Is your heart beating for unbelievers? Do you want the gospel to go out? Do you want them to receive what you have? Are you going to be stingy and hold it to yourself? Do you not know that the world needs what you possess, which is Christ, that light? Sometimes I think we forget. I know that I do sometimes on the job, right, in the car, I sometimes I forget that the world needs the light that I possess. And so we find ourselves trying to do what? Trying to dim our light, trying to fit in, trying to go with the crowd because we don't what? We don't want the world to look at us, oh, I you're a Christian and all you Christians and so, but God is saying, no, I need you to show up in space. They are waiting on you. Some of you are the only church that people will ever see. So show up. Be the light that God has called you to be. 
as I read the first uh, verse of chapter um, 10, it was as, as if Paul was saying, look, at the end of the day, this is my desire, that the Israelites be saved. Right? After it's all said and done, I really just want the Israelites to be saved. Think about it. Paul was once right where the Israelites were in their spiritual position. Paul was exactly where the Israelites were in their spiritual position. What do I mean by that? Paul was in the same exact predicament, trying to work out his salvation by what he was doing. Right? And how do we know this? Because he talks about it openly in a lot of the New Testament. Let's look at Philippians 3, 5-7. If you have your Bibles, you can write this note down. Philippians, 5, uh, Philippians 3, 5-7 says, Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in the regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But now, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of what? Christ. So Paul was saying, look at my credentials. Look at how I was living. I was exactly where they were. Look at Galatians 1, 13 and 14. For you have heard of, of my previous way in life in Judaism, Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Who better than Paul to be exactly in that same position to be able to speak to what they're going through? Look, I get it. Circumcised and atheist, Hebrew of Hebrews, Pharisee when it comes to the law, legalistic. I, I was all of those things. But guess what? I now consider all those things rubbish. I consider all those things, what? Not good enough. It's amazing. And I started to think about for us today. We are in the same place. We can actually get caught up in the accolades and our credentials and our schooling and our education and our friends and, our, right? and these material possessions and lose sight of what is really important, which is Christ. So Paul says that who better than me to talk about being zealous for God? I, I was super zealous. I was so zealous I was persecuting the church. I was persecuting the church. And we look at this word zealous. Uh, looking at verse 2. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Their zeal is not based on knowledge. Zealous. Here, this Greek word zealous, it is here uh, usually associated with evil, which I found interesting. Zeal in this context means that it's, to, it's the focus is to diminish the good in others. So, zeal, so he says, for I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based in knowledge. So in this reference, their, 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 their goodness is only in comparison to what? To other people. So see, that's what happens for us. Sometimes we can get caught up in how good we are, and then we start to compare ourselves to people who are not good. Right? Like, oh, they out there stealing, they out there killing, they out there robbing. I'm not doing that, so therefore I'm good. Well, anybody looks good in comparison to people out there living like that. Right? If that's, if that's your standard, think about that for a moment. I think I shared before, right? If I'm a healthy person, 
And I'm like looking at somebody else's health who's diminishing, and I'm like, well, look at me. Look how good I am compared to this person. That's not a, that's not a fair standard. And not only that, that means my ceiling is very low. So we start thinking about our behavior, the things that we do, right, and how we behave compared to other folks who don't have it all together, who, don't, who is not as good as you. We set ourselves up for failure. So their zeal came from what they were doing rather than what God was doing. Think about that. Their zeal was coming from what they were doing rather than what God was doing. But what's even worse is that their zeal wasn't based on knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of righteousness. Yes, you see God's righteousness. Look at, look at verse 3. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So their knowledge was not based on what? God's righteousness. We start looking here. Um, but we see that, in, 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 that within this text, there is, and again, going back as we talked about last week, they start to begin to focus on what they deem as righteous, what they deem as good, but not exactly what God is saying is righteous. And their righteousness comes from Christ, right? The believer, the person who has faith, their righteousness comes from, from Christ, not from what we do, not from how you behave, not from your behavior, right? So we start looking in this text. Since they did not know the, the righteousness that comes from God, they sought to establish their own. Establish what? Their own righteousness. So I'm going to set my own standards. Right? This is what it means to be good. I come to church. I give. Right? I come to a, a Bible study every here and there when I'm not busy with work. Right? I help people sometimes. Right? I let people over in traffic. Right? This is what it means to be good. So therefore, I'm going to check that box. This is righteousness. That's dangerous. That's dangerous for us to set our own standard of righteousness. Because I don't know about you, but I've justified some things that are not of God. Why? Because I was caught up in my own standards and said, well, in comparison to this person, this is a lot better than what they're doing. But in God's eyes, he's saying that still will send you to hell. That still doesn't meet my standard. You still have fallen short of my glory. It's dangerous for us to set our own standards. And many people live like this, right? They're on our jobs, they're our neighbors, they're our friends, they're our family members. And we even hear, and sometimes in conversation, we may say things, well, well at least I didn't do what so-and-so did. And it's dangerous for us to set these. I'm so glad that God, Christ, is the standard. Christ is the standard. But we see here in verse 4, it says what? Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone that believes. In verse 4, we see what? It is finished. It is finished. When Christ cracked out of the graves and rose with all power in his hand, he tore down the veil of what? The law forever. 
so that we don't have to work and be ch and checking our, our accounts, our good deed account. Did I, did I, did I hit the, did I do it? Did I set it this week? Did I, okay, I gave to this person. All right, I returned that phone call. I prayed for this person. Okay, I'm good. That's how we tend to operate. And then we find ourselves, well, I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I, I, I've done enough. I have done enough this week. I have given enough this week. Where's God in it? Where's God in your giving? See, before, we could only get a peek at God and his goodness. See, before Christ tore down the veil, before he did away with the law, we could only get a peek at God. We could only experience him for a little bit. But now, because of his work, because of what he did, we have access to Christ. We have access to the Father every single day, every single hour, every single minute. We have access to Christ. We have access. God, I'm, I'm hurting right now. Help me. I'm lonely right now. Comfort me. Console me. Be with me. We have access. I thought about this. This is where I began to get excited because I started to think about God has now imputed all of his righteousness, all of his goodness. It now he spilled it all onto me and it covers me. So now it's no longer. The, the, so when God looks at me and I say, God, can you can you help me? He doesn't see Nathan. He sees Jesus Christ, his son. And so now he can say, yes, my son, I see you. I will help you. I will extend my hand to you. Because why? Because it's not you, the Nathan, the sinful person that I see. It's Jesus Christ. All of Christ, his righteousness has now fallen upon us. <clears throat> we have now been fully adopted. Think about that for a moment. You have been fully adopted, Matt. You have been fully adopted. I'm not talking foster care temporarily. God has now fully adopted us. So that now we have access to the full house. Right? We have access to all of the Father. And it's not temporary. It's permanent. See, I, I, I had some friends and family members who've been in foster care. And it was temporary. It only lasted, they only had perks and access to certain things for a little bit. But when they became adopted, when Christ adopted me, he gave me full access. Some of you may have remembered the show Access Granted. It was a TV show that came on on BT. But in that show Access Granted, it would give you insight, behind the scenes interviews. You could see what was going on, how they filmed the video. How the artists, what they're going through personally. It gave you full access. Access granted. So now Christ is giving us access to the Father. And he says, you have to come through me. So we see in verse 4, Christ is the end of the law. So that there, now, there may be righteousness for everyone who what? Believes. Saying all you have to do is believe. Believe in my work. Believe in what I did. And when you believe, you have access to the kingdom. And I'm so glad because when we have access to the kingdom, it empowers, it enables us to do things that we can't do ourselves. Like get up before you right now and preach God's word. It's not me who's preaching, it's God who's speaking through me. Lord, help me. 
What word do you want me to say? What stories did you want me to bring up? Have your way. It's the, and it's not about my righteousness. It's about God. I'm fully adopted. Fully adopted. It's amazing. I said, I am fully his and he is fully mine. We sing this song, right? I'm fully his and he is fully mine. We say that. But are we living like that? Do we live like I am fully his and he is fully mine? What does that look like? Lord, everybody else showing up late to work today. Lord, everybody else is, right? We start to compare, but when I am fully his and he is fully mine, we're not worried about what everybody else is doing. It was the same author, the same Paul who wrote that I don't care about what you think about me and I don't care what I think about me. All I care is about what he thinks about me. So when we consider that, think about that, how that will keep us from falling, keep us from doing what we want to do and hurting people, right? I lied to a person about who I was because that I had, there was ulterior motive, right? And I'm going to be speak transparent, I want to be real because what's the point in these experiences if, if I don't allow to share them because this might help somebody. And I started to think about when we don't show up as who we're supposed to be, there are spiritual casualties, Matt, there are spiritual casualties to the folks that when we don't show up, how we're supposed to show up. Somebody might be on the brink of suicide.
And in God's sight, he's like, that means nothing. One day that job will leave you. Or you're going to leave that job. It's not permanent. The only thing that's permanent is me. So when I thought about that, started to experience all throughout this week. All throughout this week, God was preparing me for this message. And I was so glad. I stopped judging myself throughout this week. Do you know how good it feels to not judge yourself? To not think about Nathan, oh, you did this wrong. It doesn't matter. God loves me. He forgives me. I'm going to do better next time. That's it. Don't worry about it. Don't, don't sit there and throw a pity party now. What am I going to do? It's over. It's done. It's nothing you can't. You can't go back in time. You can't change it. It's a wrap. God still loves you. And this is the thing. Matt, he says, I knew. What do you mean, God? I knew you were going to mess up. I knew you were going to lie. I knew you were going to steal. I knew you were going to tell half truth. I knew you were going to show up late. I knew. God, and you still die? I knew. So you're telling me that you knew that I was going to put myself first. Yeah. And I still went to the cross. And I still died for you. Because I know that you can't do it alone. You need me. You knew? I knew. That's why the end has come. I've torn down the veil because I knew. Nobody could bring the satisfaction that my father needed. There was no, there was no sacrifice worthy. They couldn't sacrifice enough lambs. They couldn't do enough rituals. I knew. So I died for you. I died for you. I died for you because I knew that this world would crush you. I knew. So I went ahead and died for you. So that you would have access to my power. That same power that raised me from the dead. See, I don't think when we start to realize that it's that power that we have access to, we can stop judging ourselves. Right? Stop punishing ourselves because he knew. It's not about you. It's not about your works. It's not about your power. It's not about your strength. It's about mine. It's about my work at Calvary. It's about me being whipped. Me being spit upon. Me being beaten. Me dying. And me rising with all power in my hand to lift you out of your misery, to lift you out of your guilt, to lift you out of your shame. I died for you to comfort you. And then I love you so much that I'm not going to send you alone. I'm going to send someone who's there to comfort you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to, to be with you, to guide you, to teach you, to counsel you, to hold you. So that you don't have to carry the weight of this world by yourself. I'm so glad that he died for me. I'm glad he died for me. And he died for you. He died for you. That's why Paul can speak confidently. He says Christ is the end of the law. 
So that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Paul says this confidently because what? He had his experience with Christ on Damascus Road. He was trying to live and be good enough. He was persecuting the church. He was doing all the religious jargon. And he, he, was the, he had the education. He had the knowledge. But he, yet he still couldn't possess the righteousness of God. Why? Because he was caught up in himself. And he said it was on Damascus Road when I finally met Christ. He says, why? Why are you still trying to do it? You can't do it, Paul. You can't do it, Matt. You can't do it, Catherine. You can't do it. You can't do it. You need me. So believe. Believe that I died for you. Believe that I rose for you. And you will experience peace. And joy. And comfort. But no, yes, you still will have pain. But guess what? I'll be there with you. I'll be there with you to comfort you. So Paul can speak confidently. Who better than Paul to talk to these believers about their status, about their position, than the one who tried it all. He tried the religion. He tried it. It didn't work. It left him empty. Once you are good enough, right, you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I, I've made it. Your flesh says it's still not good enough. You need more. The Holy Spirit comes into us and says, is your work, are you caught up in your work or in the work of Christ? The work of Christ is perfect. You can't do enough. And this is why he's able to forgive. And if we would be able to experience this in our personal lives, I truly, truly believe that City Church is going to grow in weight, in depth, in love. Why? Because we want to hold, we're going to be the righteousness of Christ. It won't be about us. We want the world to experience what we have here at City Church. That imputed righteousness on us. We don't have to worry about how we look, how we dress, how much money we have in the bank account. Christ has saved you. And he now wants you to go back into the world and declare Christ as king. And it's not about your works. It's not about what you've done wrong. I want you to forgive yourself. Think about that. As we come to a close, forgive yourself. God has forgiven you. How come we can't forgive ourselves? We keep still. We like, Lord, forgive me. And God's like, I've forgiven you, Paul, but you haven't forgiven yourself. I've moved on, but you haven't moved on. I want to work through you. I want to use you. Faults and all. I want to use you. Faults and all. To my young people, don't worry about the likes and the views on social media. Don't worry about those things. And I know it's hard and difficult. Our whole world has designed this system for us to be the, the center, the central focal point to be us and our goodness and getting good grades and, and getting the, the good letters on our report cards and to getting in the best schools. And don't get me wrong, those things are, right, are good in themselves to a certain degree. But when we begin to put our hope and our trust 
and our salvation in those things, that's where the conflict arises. Because there's not enough likes, there's not enough views, there's not enough, uh, a good enough college, a university, a trade school, a job that's going to give you the peace, the peace and joy that Christ gives. Let us bow. Father God, we come to you right now saying thank you. We say thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your word, Father God, that encourages us, convicts us, inspires us. Lord, we ask that you would begin to just have your way with this word, Father God. Help us to see how we can use this word, this text, these passages, Father God, in our lives this week. How can we use this word to glorify you? How can we put our trust and hope in not our actions, but in the actions of you and the work that you did at Calvary? How can we live righteous throughout the week, Father God? Not by what we do, but by our faith in you. Lord, we ask that you would be with us throughout this week. That you would encourage us. That you would walk with us. That you would talk with us, Father God. That you would begin to just comfort us throughout the difficulty, Father God, that we experience throughout this, this week, Father God. Be with us as only you can. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for the work that you've done. We thank you for the work that you are doing in us right now. Lord, help us to forgive ourselves as you have forgiven us, Father God. Help us to be in complete reliance and trust in your finished work at Calvary. Help us to know that it is finished, that we are righteous not because of what we do, but because of what you did. Help us to own it. Help us to live it. Help us to proclaim it, to declare it. Help us, Father God, to be in you so that we may be able to share with this world the peace and the joy and the love that you offer. Touch us as only you can. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.